podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Attention Social Security and SSI recipients. If you did not receive an economic impact payment for your eligible spouse or dependents, you may need to file a 2020 tax return with the IRS and claim the recovery rebate credit. Go to ssa.gov slash EIP to see if you need to file a tax return and if eligible for other refundable tax credits, like the child tax credit. That's ssa.gov slash EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Hey, imagine if all your frustrations about advertising your business could be solved right now. You should know that podcast listeners are more engaged in higher converting than any other advertising medium. So try AdHub today and reap the rewards of Spreaker's self-advertising platform. It makes it as effortless as ever to be heard by thousands, regardless of the listening app they use. Visit Spreaker.com forward slash AdHub. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com forward slash AdHub and start using your advertising dollars in an impactful way. Hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon and with me as usual I have Woody. Woody... I'll kick it off by saying Merry Christmas. It's probably Christmas Eve when people are listening to this. So yeah, how Merry are you? Christmas Day. I'm, um, I'm very excited. I think last week I said that I was finishing off a bit of Christmas shopping. Last night I was still finishing off a bit of Christmas <laughs> shopping. So um, it's been a process and a half, don't get me wrong. Um, I've started a bit of wrapping, but yeah, look, it's... Uh, I'm, de- I'm definitely like chuck it in like a get gift bag sort of guy. Really? I don't get Man, near the I put so wrapping. much effort into my wrapping. I can see it. I can yeah. see why you'd be yeah. that sort of, bit sort of, of perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we had um, quite a bit of stuff on during the week. It was Liverpool playing in Europe for the uh, FIFA World Cup, Club which, World Cup. Which they won? <laughs> yeah, they sure did. Got the Chockeys over Flamengo in extra time with a Bobby Firmino winner. Took his shirt off. He was pretty pleased with himself and... Yeah, every every right to him. <laughs> another another trophy for this uh, successful period for Liverpool. So they must be buzzing. But we all know what they really want, and that probably will come come the end of May. Yep, twenty twenty. So, yep. It's been a pretty good twenty nineteen for uh, for Liverpool, hasn't it? Yeah, that definitely be the winner winners, of the year. Super Cup winners, and then now the Club World Cup secured an intercontinental treble. Huge twenty nineteen for the Liverpoolians. But next year, no doubt, I think he's going to be even bigger. You know who else has had a big year, Woody? Mm. The Premier League nightclub. Because <laughs> obviously, you know, we had a bit of time to reflect over these last you know, couple of months. It's been a great start. We hope people enjoy our show, but we're always trying to work for the people behind the scenes. And this episode is no exception. We, we are, are the, we are the people's podcast. Exactly. And we've worked our backsides off this week to get organized some special appearances from, from sp- some special people. And come later this episode, the director of sport at Optus Sport will be joining us to talk all things football, won't you, Woody? Big Richard Bayless. We cannot describe how overjoyed and I guess also thankful that we are that he's agreed to come on. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is a huge scalp for the nightclub and, um, you know, it's, it, it's massive to have someone of his stature and his standing, especially at someone, uh, at a company like Optus Sport come on yeah, and, and share us like, with his thoughts and, and yeah, it's just, oh, it leaves me a bit speechless. I'm, I can't believe it, Damo. Yeah, well, to be honest, you think about it like someone like Richard himself, he, he probably talks about football almost every single day. So to take the time out of his day to talk about it even more, you know. Especially so close to Christmas as well. 
Yeah, it's a really special thing. We're really thankful for him to come on later on. But for now, Woody, there was some Premier League over the weekend. So would you like mm. to get stuck into those quick fire results? To hear off the round, absolute snooze fest at Goodison Park. Everton drew with Arsenal, nil all. Newcastle down, Crystal Palace 1-0. Southampton destroyed Aston Villa in a relegation battle 3-1. Wolves beat Norwich 2-1. Sheffield beat Brighton 1-0. Burnley beat Bournemouth 1-0. Leicester lost to Man City in a top-of-the-table clash or close to 3-1. Watford down Man United 2-0. And Chelsea beat Mourinho's Tottenham 2-0. And West Ham versus Liverpool was postponed due to uh, Liverpool's game overseas. But you know what? No one was gaining points on Liverpool because Leicester lost anyway. So <laughs> what, what a week for Liverpool. <laughs> haven't lost anything. Uh, yeah. And did you see as well? We probably should touch on this in the intro a little bit. But Liverpool uh, lost their League Cup game 5 nil to Aston Villa because they... Did you see the team? Yeah, they put out the 16-year-olds. <laughs> and people still on social media had a dig at Liverpool, you know, just because they lost. But I guess that's all the... Part of the fun of football. Yeah. Ignore the facts to get a good story. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know how people can even make a claim to that, honestly. <laughs> no, they actually did all right, uh, those kids at Liverpool. They, they did. Statistically, it wasn't a 5-0 I loss. I think they, they the could have scored. I think they had two clear-cut opportunities before Villa scored their first goal. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they could have been a different game. Could have been a very different game. Tell you what, speaking of not being able to score, do we want to get stuck into our first one? Because... I think mm. we just, we'll have a look See, at it. I don't know if I want to talk about it though. No, no, no. We'll give it a crack. And that is Everton versus Arsenal. Indeed, that is it. And it ends for Duncan Ferguson, Freddie Lundberg in a goalless draw. Freddie Lundberg has had his time in the front row, but in a game of few chances where Aubameyang had the best, it's finished at Goodison Park. Everton nil, Arsenal nil. So yeah, that pretty much wraps that one up. What do you do? You want to get stuck into the next game? You're still mate. <laughs> <laughs> Snooze fest at Goodison Park. Snooze fest. But to sum it up, yeah. to sum it up, Aubameyang had a chance. Lacazette had a chance. Martinelli had a chance. Martinelli had a chance. And that was pretty much it. Two good saves from two good keepers. End of story. Let's wrap that one up. Good to go. Stick a pole in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up is... A little bit of a relegation scrap that we felt was really important to talk about, didn't we, Woody? We did. It was Aston Villa versus Southampton, and and this game had huge ramifications, but it was one man that sort of dug them out, and he's proving to be a shining light. Your man. Sort of the star on the Christmas tree, actually. <laughs> he's being a bit of a jet, and this was his third goal. Quickly out to Redmond on the left. He's got Gilbert backtracking. Oh, Garcia comes with him. Redmond inside the penalty area. Oh, it's passed backwards. He's on the turn and right three now. Spun, left-footed, fizzed it past Heaton. I was right in line with it, and it went like an arrow into the inside netting. In second, Saints third, 3-0 up away from home, and heading out to the relegation zone at Christmas. Yeah, so Danny Ings, the the man for Southampton at the moment, moved to second for the goal scorers in the league. Obviously, Vardy miles ahead after scoring again over the weekend. But Danny Ings, in a relegation-battling side, he you'd have to say he's probably the informed striker of the competition at the moment. He is. He scored seven from seven, and he's proving his absolute worth in gold. He's he's playing a belter of a season so far. And I think on the, the uh, this game, his partnership with Shane Long was really flourishing for me. And mm-hmm. it also showed in Shane Long's game because um, for the day, he had 22 duels, 
22 duels, sorry, 17 aerial duels and three shots. And for much of the game was proving that man that was running tirelessly between midfield and the striker position and continually creating chances for Danny Ings. Yeah, I, I spoke about Calvert-Lewin playing a similar role a couple of weeks ago for Everton, that working your backside off as the striker to almost just... When you're playing a direct sort of game plan like Southampton were and struggling and you're not going to be playing a Barca style of play, the striker plays an even more important role, having to work that so much harder. And I think I was pretty harsh on Shane Long a couple of weeks ago. I think I just, you know... You said he hadn't scored for a week. Yeah, I, I, was just, when I was, yeah I was just like, when was the last time Shane Long scored? But credit to him, on the weekend, I thought he might not have got the goal that he deserved, but, you know, it wasn't the cleanest game. But it was a it was a workman's game, and credit to him and his manager after the game shouted him out. So he'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, completely. And it, it was his pressure for uh, Danny Ings' first goal that he Shane Long took the shot, got deflected, and Danny Ings finished it off. So if it wasn't for Shane Long, Danny Ings probably wouldn't have got that yeah, first goal for sure. Um, but nothing to take a shine off this man. Danny Ings is putting Southampton on his back, literally, and clawing them away from relegation. He scored twice in this game, and he's. Damo, like you said, second in the golden boot. He, he's having a ridiculous season. It's sort of come out of nowhere, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, not many would have... I don't think anyone would have predicted him to have this sort of season. Obviously, we knew what he was capable before he went to Liverpool. Uh, it wasn't exactly a successful time at Liverpool. But even you said, would he now... You know, could bigger clubs be starting to look at him? Or do you think he now has to deliver that uh, across a whole season rather than just... A few months. Um, I think he has to deliver that over a whole season. This is definitely a spurt. I think his injury problems is something that will yep. affect his ability to get to a big club again For and sure. have consistent runs. Um, I think, but but definitely what he's putting in so far this season shows that he would be perfect for a Southampton. Mm-hmm. I think I don't think there's too much scope for him to be that much better. Um, okay. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can see this run continuing only because he's probably the Southampton's only outlet. Realistically, because like you said, Shane Long is playing amazing, but he's not scoring. Yeah. And if it's not for James Ward Prowse, then and his ability from the dead ball, which I like to point out almost every single yeah, episode. Exactly. Um, but Danny Ings is very much carrying, you know, Southampton on the on his back at the moment in terms yeah. of goal scoring ability. Um, and and there's, no, there's nothing too dissimilar this game as well. And I think that very much came down to a poor Villa defence, but nevertheless, Danny Ings' first goal was a classic poacher's goal, mm-hmm. which is something that you want to see from every striker, and it's something that you don't find as well. But then on top of that, his second goal was unreal ability to capitalise on Marvelous Nakamba's like, ridiculous mistake and mm-hmm. finish from a ridiculously acute angle. Yeah. Well, Woody, I, we, talk, we can talk about Ings and Southampton, and obviously the three points is massive for them in their quest to stay up. But for me personally... Like, I know you enjoy watching the Saints. You've been a little bit of a fan of them, as you said, since they had that hammering at Leicester, or against Leicester at home. I just, I felt the game was bigger for Aston Villa in terms of uh, ramifications. What's come out of this? Firstly, we have to address the massive elephant in the room, that is McGinn's injury. Mm. I I, I think watching it, I saw him go down, and I said this to you as well at the time, um... I did not look like he was significantly injured because you didn't see any irregularities yep. like, with the way he went down. I think his boot just got caught in the turf. Sometimes and, that happens. Yeah, and it does. And it's so unfortunate when it does. And it's unfortunate it happens to someone like McGinn, who is such a key cog in Villa's play. But, He'll be out for three months now, wouldn't he? Yeah, three months, no doubt. And I think he 
he's not going to be fit for Scotland's Euro 2020, which also could affect his They're, ability to to get to a bigger club as well. Yeah, well, obviously linked with Man United during the off season. So yeah, that that playoff game uh, in the Euro 2020, March 26, that is probably a date that he will aim for. But you know, that's touch and go because with these ankle injuries. They're not so much a heel, get straight back into it. Yeah. You need a serious rehabilitation period. Yeah. And, and then quite often the- you can't rush these things back, otherwise they can reoccur. Or just general soreness. It's hard to back games up. Yeah, so I think any sort of leg injury, the percentage of them doing anything again is actually pretty high. Mm. Um, so that's why they have to, when with covering McGinn's injury, they have to do it right and they have to do it well and take their time. All right, so like steering clear of McGinn, but keeping with Aston Villa... Woody, I want to pose something to you. Mm. Aston Villa were an absolute shambles defensively over the weekend. Conceded three goals to a team that hadn't been exactly, other than maybe the last few weeks, in great scoring touch. I mean, Southampton just were in the relegation zone. There's no sugarcoating it. Southampton still aren't an amazing team. I, With the money they spent, Mm -hmm. where do Villa go... From here, obviously Mings missed on the weekend. So, do you, firstly, touch on Mings and his importance, and how Villa are going to Villa copes didn't cope, I should say, on the weekend. But w- overall, where do Villa go from here? Well, yeah, firstly, I'll deal with the Mings question because no doubt Mings has been probably other than Jack Grealish has been their best player for the season. Yep. No doubt that's why he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet for the England squad. He proves his worth, all mm-hmm. right? And he's amazing. Amazing at um, organising the defence, and he does everything he can to, to stop Villa's leaking ship. Yep. But then again, Villa as well have conceded, you know, I think, um, what is it, nine-headed goals and then eight corners off yeah, this- eight goals off corners. So that's more than any side in the Premier League. Um, and Jack Stevens scored yet again, and no doubt that would be because of um, Tyron Ming's absence. But then to stick with where Villa have to go from here, I think it's more than just the players being the issue. Dean okay. Smith has proved himself to be totally inflexible, and if you watch every game so far this season, they always line up the same. Yeah, a, a that's very, very true. rigid four three three. There's no, there's no differentiating the game plan. Do you do you think this is... Because sp- I spoke about Aston Villa, how I was concerned about them dropping the most points from winning positions in the league this season. That was mm-hmm. maybe a month ago now. But that if you look at their last few games, they've conceded as many goals in their last two home Premier League games as they had conceded in their seven before that. And do you spoke about the, the rigid... Four three three, almost this. Are the tactics going stale? I mean, stale is a harsh word, but do you get what I'm trying to say? In that maybe the players aren't as enthusiastic about what they have to bring to the table because they've been doing it for a while, and unfortunately, it hasn't been working. It's been working in patches, but not for long enough periods. And now it's they're starting to get hammered. Let's be honest. Yeah, I think it's starting to get hammered because teams are figuring out that if 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 you're not playing to Villa's, if, if you're not allowing Villa to play in their four three three and flourish with that, then they've got no plan B, mm. right? And I think that's where I've said touch on before. Dean Smith's um, tactics are outdated because play teams are figuring out how to play against these players. And we look at one, we look at Wesley. He hasn't scored in 12 games. Mm. He hasn't, other than the League Cup, the League Cup game against Liverpool in the 5-0 win, alright, he hasn't scored in 12 league games. He's struggling. He is struggling. Now, either he shouldn't be playing as a sole striker, which he has done 
for the whole season well, because I, that's the way Dean Smith plays. I would compare him to a Haller from West Ham. Sorry to cut you off here, Woody. No, but you're right. we, we take a look at West Ham and we actually don't criticize Haller because of the way West Ham have played. Yeah. And we think a lot of those front, front guys, the Philippe Andersons, et cetera, haven't been performing. So we say Haller's got a little bit of a get out of jail free card here. But then on the other hand, you look at Wesley and the guys around him for a Jack, like for example, Jack Relish to his left yeah, has, well, been, has, as well. yeah, has been performing. So it's like, well, you know, where he doesn't yeah, get where, a bit of a jail. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, but that, uh, that's, that, that's the question. H- how do you go past this for Villa? Either they have to look at different, different mechanisms to, to play the game. Because it's obvious that either he, Wesley shouldn't be playing or shouldn't be starting. Mm-hmm. All right. In the cameo that Koja came on in, the, he did more than what Wesley has done in 12 weeks. And that's saying a lot. A you know cool, what I mean? Cool. Yeah. And I know they'd already used a sub for McGinn, but they needed something more. And Grealish is continually being their only outlet for attack. Yeah. That's the thing. And you can only rely on him so much. Yeah. If he leaves, they're cooked. Agreed. They're gone. All right. And that's the thing. If you look at Jack Grealish's name, game by the numbers, he's been directly involved in more Premier League goals than any other English player this season with five goals and four assists. He had 85% pass accuracy, seven chances created, five successful take-ons, three shots, all of which were on target, an interception and a goal. And his goal was nothing short of really bloody brilliant. Man. He is. and But the thing is, he's... He's beginning to be Villa's only man. Yeah. That's the thing. You can be someone's main man, but as soon as you're becoming someone's only man, then that's an issue. Yeah. That's the issue. All right, Woody, to wrap this one up, I know, obviously, you've got a little thing for Danny Ying, so I'm going to leave you with something here, Mm. and you can give me a response, okay? Yep. The, The situation now for Southampton, we've touched on Villa a lot, but for Southampton, it's a massive three points. They'll be buzzing, but they've got to back it up. Would you say if Ings is fit, they will stay up? And if he's injured, they're going to go down? Mm-hmm. Because I, I personally don't know where Southampton would be without Danny Ings. I'll tell you where they'll exactly be. They'd be where Villa are without Tammy Abraham. That's exactly where they'll be. Villa are shit without Abraham. They have nothing. Well, he doesn't play for Villa. Well, it, last season he did. <laughs> but I'm serious. I'm serious. If you look at... There's a reason why they got promoted. Villa's, Villa scored... Uh, Abraham scored 26 goals for Villa last season. They can't do anything this season because they have no central striker that they can play through. No one. Oh, okay. So you can, okay. So you're saying last season in the championship. Yeah, but look at the difference. Villa scored 26 goals through Abraham last season, got promoted. They can't, they'd be lucky to score 26 goals for the season. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do get what you're saying. Okay. No, I get that. Nice little comparison between the two teams that were on show there. Yeah, Woodra. thank you. You've <laughs> <laughs> stumped by that one. Man. I, I was, I was like, I was a stunned mullet for it a made, little bit. But made, I, made but you think? Yeah, made I was like, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. <laughs> anyway, let's jump into uh, a usual segment, which I'm keen to get into this week because there were some big uh, ramifications for a lot of teams, and that is winners and losers. Oi, did someone say winners and losers? Sure did, mate. Alright, I'm going to kick things off here, Woody, and my winner of the week is someone I've been keeping an eye on for a little bit, and we've touched on Newcastle, you know, we touched on Newcastle a little bit last week and a lot at the start of the season, so I was keen to see how this bloke went. Miguel Almiron, okay? 
finally, finally, finally scored his first goal for the Magpies over the weekend. A last-minute winner, absolute scenes at St. James's Park. The Maggies were loving it. Loving it. And, look, the thing was, statistically, he hadn't actually been a poor signing back in January for Newcastle. He'd been quite good. I actually saw a few articles posted saying, oh, you know, Almiron's coming under serious pressure. And a lot of these Newcastle fans were saying no. You know, he's actually quite often our liveliest player offensively. So, you know, sometimes, a lot of the time, actually, the club fans have the best idea because they watch every single second of the game. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. think about it afterwards. So I, I take a lot about a, a lot of my thoughts off club fans. And so when I was looking at Almiron, I saw, okay, he scored. And I was like, did he did he play well like all these Newcastle fans saying? He did. 94% passing accuracy in the final third, 94% accuracy overall, seven ball recoveries, four tackles, one, two shots, and of course, a goal. He must be buzzing. I'm super happy for him and super happy for Newcastle, who now are into the top 10. Massive, massive scenes at St. James's Park. that's not something we would have said coming into the season. I, I can't believe Newcastle would be top 10. I cannot believe it. <laughs> All right, Woody, who is your winner? My winner is Raul Jimenez, and we've talked about him a little bit so far this season, especially when we've analysed Wolves games, because he's been the focal point for the Wolves. However, in the 2-1 win over Norwich on the weekend, Jimenez bagged the win in the 81st minute, um, which takes his Premier League tally this season so far to seven goals, but then paired with five assists. So the striker is going pretty well as, I guess, any centre forward not named Robert Lewandowski or Jamie Vardy. The stats now say he's got 16 goals and 8 assists in 28 matches across all comps this season for the Wolves. He's and on fire. He's on fire. And now the Wolves are going to be a bit worried for which of the big fish is going to come for him in January because I can see him going as a backup striker to one of the big teams. Yeah, it depends on his character whether you want to do that. Obviously, he's got a really good relationship with Nuno Santos. And he's got a good thing going at the Wolves as well. Yeah, I think there's... I, I've seen a lot of few people... Wolves aren't bad odds to win the Europa League as well. So I'm not really sure... Why he would want to go a bit like the Leicester situation? You can't really see any of these players moving until the end of this season, rather than in January. All right, Woody, my loser. Fans who watched Bournemouth versus Burnley on the weekend, specifically the Bournemouth fans. <laughs> now, goodness me. Usually for the Saturday games, Woody, uh, we we pretty much just nominate oh, what games you want to watch, and we made a specific effort this weekend to watch some of the uh, smaller teams. Would you agree? Completely. Jesus, I got the rough end of the stick <laughs> in this one. Now, I know what I'm getting into when I watch a Burnley game. Did you fall asleep during the game? Amazingly not. Because <laughs> I was like, if one thing happens in this game, i got to see it. I'm going to be amazed. And it did happen in the 89th minute, and that was the first shot on target and the eventual winner from Jay Rodriguez. The Vitality Stadium was not buzzing. It was asleep. It was snoring. <laughs> It was a horrific game of football. Look, we know Burnley come with a plan every single time, compact. You know, we, we, they score a lot of their goals in similar fashion, but gee whiz, it was horrific. Five shots all game, and as I said, one on target, and that was the goal, and just a terrible display of Premier League football. Woody, who is your loser? All right, so my loser this week, and, and I could have gone either Watford as my winner, or Manchester United is my loser. And I, and I chose to do the latter, the latter because of the opportunities that keep passing United so far this season. They had a bloody golden chance to close in on top four yet again and were gifted, gifted with the Watford matchup this round, mm-hmm. right? 
They were given a Watford who, prior to this game, had only scored four goals at their home of Vicarage Road. If they had won, United would be fifth with the results that had occurred over the weekend. And now we're heading to fixtures where they face a much harder task, especially in the new year, than Watford are going to give them. Yep. Yep, so they play a lot of the top six. They play Arsenal on New Year's Day. Play Arsenal. Yep. But looking at the context of the season, United are now, what, seven points off fourth? Yep. Right? But then Watford, in essence, are still two and a half games outside of relegation. Okay, so you're saying the loss is... The loss is more... I think detrimental to United at this point because Watford are almost a shoo-in to go down. Yeah. Because they were probably gifted the game by United. Oh, two gifted horrendous mistakes. Yeah, horrible. Horrible. I could not believe what I was watching. My eyes were bleeding. Flappy Hands Dave was back. Flappy Hands Dave. Haven't seen he, that for a few know, years. Do you know he's had the most um, personal errors that have led to goal with six than any other player in the competition so far this I, season? I strongly believe that. I, of course, made a mistake last week against Everton as well off a corner. Yep. So he's not in great touch. And he copped a falcon in his face, which what he deserved. <laughs> Alrighty, Woody, let's move on to our next game. And it was a big one. It was the one that wrapped up the round, and that was Tottenham versus Chelsea. He's worked it short to Kovacic. Got it back. Up against Oriate. Might fancy a shot here. William! Yeah! Oh, what a goal! Brilliant stuff from William. Spurs gave him the room, and he punished them. His fourth of the season is a big one. Chelsea ahead with 12 minutes. Yeah, look, William was unbelievable in this one. And uh, is it okay if we just start with William? Please, please. Pedro dropped to the bench for this one. And William took control. Took control. He was unbelievable. He had 91% passing accuracy, five-shot assists, and obviously two goals. One was a penalty, but his first one was an absolute belter. Whipped it in the far post. Quality, quality finish. Of course, Spurs fell asleep at that corner, but nevertheless, brilliant finish from William. And the key, I don't know if you saw this. Did, did you happen to watch all of the game? I watched a mini-match. Mini-match, okay. Well, It was hard, man. Yeah, it it's at hard. the worst time. 4.30 game. There, there was a moment in about, there was eight minutes at a time, 93rd minute. Mm. A ball comes over the top of William's left shoulder on the left wing, about halfway. It's a counter-attack sort of situation. Sticks his leg out. Wonderful control, and then pretty much in one movement after that, hits it with his other opposite foot straight through to Tammy Abraham on goal. It was the, even the commentator was Speechless. was just like, "Yeah, he's been phenomenal." Now Mason Mount was a close second for man of the match, but William, who ha- wasn't great last season, he's been on fire this season under Lampard, and you know credits where credits due. He, he's been he was good. It's pretty funny that Jose's old protege. In, in William and, and, and Golden Sun has come back to bite him in the ass <laughs> in his return. Pretty and, funny. And it's also funny because I'm pretty sure before he went to Chelsea, Tottenham were the favourites to sign him. Oh, so. there you go, there you go. All come, those around. Full circle. Yeah, full circle. <laughs> but that was the story of the day, really. Like, Chelsea sort of dominated Spurs for the first half an hour. Seven shots on goal to just one. Yeah. And then William scored the screamer to give the Blues the lead, but it was probably fitting realistically. And Tottenham, Probably didn't look like the team that, that Mourinho has wanted them to look like in the last few weeks. But, well, they were very... It was strange because once I saw the lineups, Chelsea went with the back three, which I did say they should yes, have, should have gone, gone with a few weeks ago. But it, I when you start... When the game started, it was almost like, oh, okay, a bit of a 5-4 or 5-3-2 sort of situation. Mm. Five, maybe 5-4-1 five, with Mount being a little bit uh, more ahead than a Kovacic and Kante. But it was... 
but as the game got on, it was almost like Lampard was like, oh, okay, Tottenham aren't switched on. Keep pushing so, forward. So let, let's, let's increase the intensity yeah. and let's go. And then from there, obviously, got the 2 0 win. And, you know, when you look at certain players like Lucas, Deli Ali, Kane, and Hyung Min Song, mm. you know, we spoke about them last week against Wolves and how Kane, if one doesn't play well with the new system Jose's got going, quite often another one does lift. But they were all flat, all flat on the weekend. And that had a lot to do with Antonio Rudiger. Yeah. He benefited from being in the back three. Of course, disgraceful scenes of him being racially abused by some of the Spurs fans. Just yeah. disgusting how that happens, but we're not going to yeah. get stuck into that. What I want to get stuck into <laughs> is him getting human song fired up. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what happened. Mate, Tell he us. kicked him in the ribs. Um, <laughs> Went down like he'd been shot. Yeah. <laughs> and Sonny got a red card. Fire out. I'll tell you what, from what has come from being the nicest man in football, other than Kante, <laughs> the two of them playing in the same game, Son has potentially showed his true colours. He is... That's three red cards in the calendar year now for him. Yep. Yep. Two this season. That's the most in nine years by any Premier League player. Gee so, whiz. There you go. Like, for you, was it a red card? Um, I think it's one of those calls that it depends on the feel of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think in a in a in a game where so you don't think it's black and white. I don't think it's I don't think it was black and white. I've seen I've seen red cards given for less, but I've seen yellow cards given for more. Yep, I strongly agree. I think when I first saw it and saw the contact, I was like, oh, you know, you can understand you could understand why Son was you know venting to the ref and was shocked. Because of, you know, obviously he knew how hard he made contacts. But mm. I think the action alone is just deserving of a red card. You cannot be doing that. You can't extend your boot up into the air at some, someone's face. Like one day, if, if, if that turns into a yellow card offense, we're going to see more injuries, more dangerous play get, you know, gotten away with. Yeah. And so for mine, I think the red card is the right decision. For a, for a football decision, yeah. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I agree. Would you say that's right? Yeah, I completely agree with you. Sweet. Yep. Alright, well, even before that, Son was horrific. He was. He, he was nowhere. 16 touches for the game. He went at 61% and missed a chance at the far post. I think it was pretty much, or other than Harry Kane's chance, pretty much Tottenham's only chance for that, uh, second, uh, first half, I should say. I mean, Chelsea just worked so much harder. And yeah, guys like Son, Lucas, and Kane, and Ali were poor. I reckon, I honestly reckon it comes down to Alonso and Azpilicueta, who I know Azpilicueta come off because he was looking a bit tired towards the end of the game. But nevertheless, those two guys, the way they transitioned, like you said, Damon, from being the five at the back, and it's almost as the 90 minutes went on, they pushed more and more further confident. and further forward. Obviously, the red card helped. Yeah, and, but the, the transitional sense of um, Chelsea and the way they progressed during the game, I thought was so much better than the way Tottenham did. Because Tottenham went back into their shell, mm. realistically. And especially after Sonny went... Um, Went went off with that red card. They went completely into their shell. Yeah, and they, I, they couldn't do anything. I there was like nothing to, they could do. I want to make one massive call here. Yeah, and you can tell me what your initial reaction is, Woodrow. Surely, I would go far to say that Lampard has transformed this Chelsea midfield. And I'll, in the, on this weekend's case, I'll say that Azpilicueta and Alonso are part of that midfield rather than the defence. Okay, yep. this Chelsea midfield is one of has the potential. Not yet. Has the potential. I don't know if it'll involve everyone that's there. For example, as Bill Equator is getting a little bit on with age, but Kovacic, Jorginho, and Mount, they're developing in maybe one or two seasons to be one of the great Premier League midfields. 
based on the system that Lampard's deliver, uh, offering them to play? Um, I don't know if I'd say great, but I'd say potentially title winning for okay. sure. Yeah. Because I think the way that Kante and Kovacic foil mounts almost um, lack of experience is amazing. Mm. The way that Kovacic and Kante support Mount in that sense is unrivaled compared to any young player coming through any system in the in the league. Yeah, for agree, sure. Couldn't agree more. We like we've seen that. Yeah, uh, uh, Madison and Mount are easily the most two comparable players, and they're both benefiting from having absolute superstars next to them and behind them. Yeah, true. Yeah, and I think the difference between Leicester's midfield progression and and Chelsea's midfield progression is that. Chelsea have that title win experience in Kante and Kovacic coming from Real Madrid, obviously. Yeah, okay, yeah, I get that. I'd also argue that uh, Leicester are probably the more talented at the moment, just just based on uh, how far they, how long they've worked together for. Does yeah, that make sense? Like yeah, Madison, sure. obviously, indeedy. Tillemans is the new one, but yeah, I just I thought like they're the two most comparable midfields, and I have Leicester a little bit ahead of them. To be honest, just because they're ahead on the table. Well, I can't really think of another but, reason. But that's the thing. I reckon if Chelsea had a better defense so far in the mid part, or the, as that's in the true. last six or seven rounds for what we've seen, then I think that conversation would be a little bit different. Yeah. Well, and especially standing in the table, it'd be a bit different as well. Speaking of Chelsea's poor defense, they have potentially turned a corner here because they finally kept their first away clean sheet of the season. Lampard must be buzzing with that. To do that at the Tottenham Stadium is just unreal. And look... They have a good record against Spurs. They've won three consecutive games against Spurs now. It is actually the first time in like a mm. decade. But nevertheless, I'm talking recent history. They have a good run against Spurs. And look, do, do we need to go into Tottenham and how they were, Woody? Because we've spoken about so much about their slow fullbacks and how much work Jose has to do with this Tottenham team now. Christian Eriksen obviously came on at halftime. I'm struggling personally to analyze Tottenham at the moment just because the vibe I get from Mourinho is that it's a lot of quick fixes, quick fixes until he can start signing some players. I think it's... Well, I can't see how it's going to be anything else, though. Because yeah. realistically, we've talked about a Tottenham squad that has struggled with attitude. We've talked about a Tottenham squad that has struggled with structure. We've talked about a, um, a Tottenham, Tottenham winning squad mentality. that is... Winning mentality. And also discipline as well. Yeah. So there is a lot more issues going on than I think Mourinho has inherited with his previous clubs. There the back end issues are a lot greater than what he had at Manchester United than what he had at Chelsea. Yeah. For both stints. Yeah, That's the thing. I think there are too many personalities. It's a complex situation. It is. And I think finding the balancing act this season is going to be very tough. And it's going to be interesting to see what he does in January because for me, I think Ericsson's gone. Even though he came on at half time, it doesn't seem like he's yeah. going to be included realistically in the Couldn't plans if he's more. not starting. And I think Ali has transformed. So if anything, that has given Ericsson the license to, to, to be booted. Yeah. From, from Especially the board, his from, last. Yeah, from the Delhi's board. last month. Yeah, from sure. the board's perspective as well. Delhi Ali looks like the player that he was born to be flourished yeah. into. Um, and that sense, I think Ericsson is probably outdated for what Mourinho wants from yeah, a team sure. and doesn't give him what, what, what he wants from a player as well. I think just to like summarize that, like, it's sort of funny how we sit here and say Mourinho's never faced a bigger challenge initially as a manager at a new club. Yeah. That was actually the first time he'd ever suffered a home defeat playing against one of the clubs he's used to manage. So, like, it's funny how we're sitting here talking about this and the scoreline and the situation reflects the situation. Yeah, and it's, like... He, he's honestly, he's gone out and destroyed his previous teams in the previous seasons as well. Yeah, because he knows them back to front. We've seen the jobs he's done on Eden Hazard in the past. And even the teams he plays, even though they change their structure, he knows that... The strengths I think the players he brings in, 
he knows back to front. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what system they play under. Even as a pundit. Yeah. He was commenting on the flaws of players that he'd signed. Exactly, because he knows them back to front. And yeah. if, I think if a team was to give him the money to build a team exactly how he wanted it to be... I think he'd win the league. Of course. Yeah. Because he builds teams that fit strengths so well to and, mitigate... To and mitigate. strengths now, most of the time. Exactly. That are almost mastered. Exactly. That he's happy to tinker with. Anyway. He doesn't look for flexible plays. He looks for masters of their position. Exactly. All right. Woody. Mm. This is a big, this is a big moment for us because Huge. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I think it, it might not be like a case of nerves, even though I've literally just said I'm nervous. <laughs> I think it's more just excitement. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty eager to hear what Richard Bayless has to say. Yeah, and I think the sheer stature of this man and I guess the role that he plays at Optus is a big, mm. is a big factor in that as well. Obviously Optus is an, a, a new, a new platform when you look at the whole journey we've been on as football fans. Mm. So we, I'm keen to get stuck into it. So do we want to get him on the line right now, Woodra? Yeah, let's get him. All right. I'm keen. I'm keen. I'm keen. Richard, thank you so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to have you. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Be on the show. Well, I know we've got like heaps and heaps of questions to get stuck into, but I think it'd be pretty. Uh, easy just to kick it off with telling us a little bit about yourself, your journey, um, you know, how you fell in love with the world game and how you've got to where you are today. Yeah, no worries. I guess, uh, in terms of how I fell in love with the world game, that, that goes a long way back. I'm, uh, I'm early 30s, I'm 33, so I guess when I started watching was in kind of the early to mid 90s and that's when, you know, we had such a troubled time of it for the national team in Australia and sort of, you know, waking up at all hours to watch the Socceroos fail after fail after failure <laughs> yeah. in the, the World Cup campaigns. Um, that along with just watching a whole heap of English football, I think that's probably where it really began, you know, just kind of watching the FA Cup games and it wasn't as easy to watch the Premier League, but, you know, just falling in love with the atmosphere and everything that came with English football and, and you know, many of us that grew up playing football as well, it's just... Just obsessed with it. I actually grew up in country New South Wales where it wasn't in any way the biggest sport, the round ball. It was more rugby league or rugby union cricket out there, but I was just always the one obsessed uh, with football and that just kind of continued on. And when I went in and studied uh, sports journalism at Bathurst um, in from 2005 to 2008, I guess it just eventually just sort of formed that path once I went into uh, sports journalism and, and football became the obvious path to, to follow. and here we are years later, and thankfully, it's uh, all I'm doing in terms of sports. So, uh, you know, it's a nice, uh, nice journey so far. All right, so you, you sort of grew up watching Mark Viduka and um, also Harry Kiel for Leeds. Did that play a huge role in you supporting them as a club? Yeah, big time. So it was kind of more, it was more Kiel. Um, yeah, Viduka didn't go there until 2000. So it was the 96-7 season where Kiel kind of emerged as a teenager. And I think it was probably more... The Kuehl was almost the one that drew my attention to Leeds, but I think once I started watching it, there were other elements of them that I really enjoyed. 
Um, I mean, just the football they played. It was also something about a team playing really good football wearing white. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but the reason that Leeds wear white was because they went to those colours in the 60s to model their football on Real Madrid. And in black and white, oh, you're a oh, There you go. Yeah, yeah I had heard something a little bit about stories, that. Like, I think a few Tottenham fans will say it too, the ones that have been around for a long time, that you know, when they would play in black and white in their successful days, the football was really good to watch because of the white would stand out on black and white TV. So that's why Leeds went to play in white. And maybe maybe that's just a, a subliminal thing to me, but I always felt that when they had a good young team in the late 90s, it was just so much more visually arresting. And as a kid, I think it just kind of struck you more. So obviously having the Aussies there was awesome. It wasn't just Kuehl and Viduka, they also had... Danny Milosevic, Jacob Burns, Paul Ocon, um, Jamie McMaster. They had about six or seven, and right through to Paddy Kuznobo in 2010-11, they had Aussies there pretty much every year. So, uh, yep, it's been, a, it's been a tough old 16 years. <laughs> and uh, I'm not getting too carried away at the moment, but uh, it's been quite quite interesting to follow them, I'd say that. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Obviously, a little bit of heartbreak last season for Leeds, but... It's now sitting second with quite a little bit of a gap between you and third. Are you a little bit confident that it could be your year to get back into the Premier League? Well, I'll tell you why I won't be confident until they're maybe 15 points clear with one game to go. (laughs) Last season, I got a little bit carried away and I actually booked a trip to go and see their last two games of the season because I thought there's no way I'm not going to be there when they go up. So I booked it. Just the Easter weekend, uh, like a week before I went, they absolutely bottled it. They lost to Wigan at home. Ten men, Wigan as well. They lost that one and they lost to Brentford. So when I jumped on the plane to go over there for the last two games, they were already pretty much done. So um, that was an experience that tells me I'm not in any way going to get carried away. And uh, yeah, eight points clear of uh, Sheffield Wednesday and third. It's a nice little buffer, but uh, particularly over this part of the season, we're still 23 games to go as well. The championship's offensively long, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, let's, let's not get too carried away just yet. Um, so I assume you attended Ellen Road and, and, and you saw Leeds play a few times as well. What's the experience like at Ellen Road? Well, it's, uh, it's epic, Woody, to be honest with you, because I, like last season, last time I went there, I went to, uh, the day before, I went to Tottenham and West Ham at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Now, that stadium is unbelievable. It's almost like if you were a kid and you dreamed of winning, you know, winning the World Cup final, scoring the winning goal. It's almost the stadium you would imagine in your head, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's just so futuristic. So I went there on a Saturday. Great atmosphere, but anyone that's been to a lot of Premier League games will tell you that it's not necessarily the, the parochial kind of noise and atmosphere that it once might have been because of the cost to go and attend. So after walking away from that game on a Saturday, I thought, yep, that was fantastic. But then I went to Leeds the next day. It was Leeds and Villa. I don't know if you remember, but it was a game, it was 1-1, and uh, Leeds actually gave a goal back to Villa because Leeds had scored theirs in controversial fashion. And the atmosphere there that day, I mean, Leeds' stadium, it's 100 years old, right on the dot, and it's like an old shed, but the atmosphere, uh, you know, more so in league football, championship and down, it's just got a very different feel to it. I thought the atmosphere down on the road far outweighed what I saw at Tottenham. That's nothing against Tottenham fans by any means, but I think that the desperation that you get in the lower leagues of English football with every club desperately trying to go up through the, the leagues, I think it just creates that kind of almost tension and anxiety in the crowd that uh, leads probably more than a lot of places have experienced too much over the last 16 years. 
Well, yeah, I mean, like, I can imagine it'd be a, li- a different, unique experience between the two, and I'm sure you'd, we'd find that probably around Europe as well, compared to, you know, when you go to Spain and all these other places. So, you know, it's really good to yeah. hear interest, like, differing opinions and differing, on differing uh, venues. Would you say, Woody? Yeah, completely. I think that's something that we love as well. We, we've both been overseas to England and see Manchester United play, um, been down to Brighton to see Brighton play as well. So, you know, we've we've been in that situation where we've had to absorb that atmosphere and, and something that we get in Australia, we don't see it. So for us to go over there, it was just an absolute experience of, an, of a lifetime for us. Yeah, for sure. Uh- Richard, I, I just do want to ask, a, it might be a little bit of a strange one, but obviously, you, as you said a little bit earlier, you, it's all you do now, like work and talk about football. Does does your love for football suffer or does it increase because it's your job? Yeah, it's a really good question, Damon, because I think, you know, like anything you work in, you can become a little bit desensitised to the, the great moments and you can kind of take the low moments you know, in the wrong way as well. And you also can't escape it. You know, when Leeds threw it away last season, I would have loved to have just had a month away from football without thinking about it. But that's it's the worst possible place to be because you're constantly reminded of it and everybody around you wants to keep bringing it up as well. So yeah. it's a funny one. You maybe have to stop every now and then and just sort of tell yourself to enjoy, you know, the, the great moments of football, whether that's World Cup finals, Champions League finals. At the end of the day, we are there to do a job and that's to provide the best coverage to people possible. Uh, and hopefully, you know, more often than not, we do that. But I think as an individual, you kind of have to, you know, you have to realise that you have that responsibility to people. And if that in a weird way takes away your own love of the game, it's a shame, but it's for the, the greater good, I guess. But more often than not, I think, because we're surrounded, we're in a football environment at work very much so. You know, you walk in and it just it feels like football. You know, we've got graphic design on the walls. We've got a big football studio. You've got football-loving people oh. all around. Yeah. And uh, it's without trying to rub it into anyone else, it's kind of it's kind of the perfect place to be if you do love the sport. It'll obviously have to evolve and change, by the way, when we add other sports, if we add other sports, because, mm. you know, we don't want to just be... Um, unfair to any other sport we might pick up along the way if the sport decides to go down that path. But um, certainly for now, it's, it's a good place to be if you love the game. Well, like, just on getting other sports and all that sort of stuff, obviously you're the director of sport at Optus. Are you involved, like, if, for example, you were to bring in other codes, would that, would your role potentially change? Or what, uh, And even now, what is your role as director of sport? Yeah, so at the moment my role is basically to lead, to run the production and editorial side of Optus Sport as well as what the brand is. So, um, you know, I sort of set the direction in terms of the tone of voice we have, you know, what we cover, what we don't cover, how we cover it as well, our style on air, our style in our written material and across social media, all which has to kind of talk to each other. Because quite often what you'll see, you know, from other places is that you know, the digital or the, the social tone of voice might be different to the on-air tone of voice and the written stuff might be different again. Mm-hmm. Whereas we've, we've sort of started in an era where that's all equally uh, important. One element really rolls into the next. So okay. my job is to make sure that that stuff's all singing in harmony and making sure that our our presence and our style is quite evident to people. When people look at the Sport and they go, oh yeah, I know what that's about. So, you know, I also run the, the production teams, the editorial teams. We've got you know, a little bit under 50 people in total across all the departments that do everything on air, not just on the actual channel, but also on the app, things like mini-matches and highlights and press conferences and short-form features, long-form features. You know, the teams that I work with kind of put all that stuff together as 
it's a pretty full-on job, and that's not to even consider the fact that I still, for some reason, host the Champions League coverage and scores on Sunday every weekend as well. So <laughs> that's probably uh, just verging on biting off a little bit more than I can chew, but it's still good fun. It's maybe only 5% of my gig, but, um, you know, I think having come through as a sports journalist and, you know, the, the adrenaline rush you get from doing live TV, you know, particularly in, inside stadiums and studios, it's it's pretty special. So at the moment, it's not too full on, but uh, as you ask in terms of the other sports, it might become that if we go down the path um, of getting other sports um, involved. I, I'm involved in conversations. Yeah, you know, we always talk about how we want to progress up the sport, how we want it to grow, how we want it to get better for the viewers, for the subscribers. Um, so yeah, we always talk about, you know, what other sports we could go into without sort of, I guess, diluting what we are or what we're trying to be for football customers. You know, if we go into another sport, we'd certainly want to replicate what we do with football and be just as effective as well. Yeah, for sure. And I look, I guess just looking at other sports as well, um, from very early on in your career, you've been involved with media surrounding the F1. You know, you're involved in the Speed Channel and, and the three-part doco on, on Jack Brabham as well. Was that ever an avenue that you could have taken or was football always the way to go over, I guess, racing? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question actually because they're my two sort of favourites. I also grew up uh, racing as well and that, they're kind of my two great sporting loves, uh, Formula One in particular and also football. I, at Fox Sports when I was there, I did a lot of different sports actually as well. I did, you know, cricket, rugby, rugby league, um, less so some of the others, but you kind of have to do a bit of everything, I suppose. It's no guarantee that you can just focus on one. I'm, I'm fortunate at the moment to be able to focus on one because when you can put you know, all your energies into one that you really love, then hopefully you can do a better job at it. But no, I, I, I was also lucky enough to do um, a bit of Formula One uh, inside the paddocks at Grand Prix as well and mm-hmm. had some, some pretty good interviews uh, sitting down with Jack Brabham's definitely one of my career highlights given, you know, what he's achieved on the world stage. He's definitely ranking up there with anyone in any sport really that we've sent overseas. So uh, I guess it's kind of fallen the way that I've done football and, and maybe one day, you know, if I could be in Formula One again, that would be fantastic. But uh, no complaints from me, Woody, that's for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, uh, Richard, from a, like a consumer perspective of like obviously Woody and I uh, have up to sport and watch it, you know, every day, <laughs> but like... Personally, I would say the service has improved a heap since tenfold. Yeah, tenfold. first got the rights. Is is that something that you're constantly trying to improve? And does that sort of correlate with what you feel your role is to gain interest in the world game? If you do you not get what I'm saying, sort of here. Yeah, I think uh, I think I know what you mean. I think as far as Optus goes, if you consider that before they got the rights. You know, they're a telco, um, deep down. That's what yeah. they've always been for so long. So when they first got the rights, it was a, as a disruption, not only to the industry, but also to a lot of viewers as well. It really changed the viewership patterns of how people would consume Premier League initially and then other leagues after that. So, you know, my role is very much coming over to try to turn uh, Optus's content side into a genuine broadcaster that you know, people can respect, you know, it wasn't just about them taking the rights and saying, here you go, people will just live stream it to people and that's it. You know, my job is to create all that value add around it. So when you guys are in the app, hopefully enjoying all the different features and all the different things we have in there, hopefully that along with the stuff we have all across our social media channels, the stuff that's on Optus Sport 1, you know, those things all kind of add up to a good experience for the football fan. And our job as well is to kind of, 
you know, be serious and be authentic. You know, we like to have a bit of fun. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we want the football fans out there to know that, oh, okay, Optus, they are, they are very serious about being good at it. They, you know, they're, they're a good thing for the football fan. You know, the jury might have been out initially because it was such a big change, but hopefully you guys and other people that have been on board for a little while will know that, you know, we are trying to do things for the benefit of, of the football fan because at the end of the day, everyone that works in my department is one in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, completely. And like, we engage with the Optus platform every single day. So for us to see the growth and also the engagement as well is, is so rewarding, especially for us as a viewership. But just one last question, I guess, on Optus and your role as well. So we've seen Optus Sport just secure the rights for the FIFA Club World Cup just pretty recently. And you said before that you want to sort of branch out into different um, sports as well. What, what sort of sport do you think would lend itself to benefit Optus as a company, but then also the growth of the platform as well? It's a hard question to answer because a lot of this stuff depends on you know, timing, what's available when, you know, what we decide fits in with our wider business strategy as well. You know, we are our own entity in Optus Sport, but also we do answer to Optus as a bigger company. So I probably can't give you any, any specifics at the moment. I think when yeah, it comes sure. to the Club World Cup, but also the Women's Super League that we signed quite recently, you know, we sort of, we jumped on those quite late, not because we were slow to the party, just because we took the opportunity when, when they came up. And, you know, the media landscape, particularly broadcasting and now in streaming, moves so quickly. So... You know, if I was to say now that, oh, we could do this or that, things might change. Yeah, I might thought to, you know, depending on what's available and when. You know, we'd like to do more football as well if we possibly can. Um, there's nothing really on the horizon at the moment, but, you know, I think there's every likelihood that we'll try to at least grow our footprint in football. And then if we find ourselves with an opportunity to go into another sport, you know, I, I don't think we would just do it lightly. I think the second sport will be crucial to us uh, if and when we do it because, you know, sure. I think we have had that success in football now and we continue to grow. So whatever you do next, you have to almost immediately get to that same level, don't you? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I think it's one of those uh, wait-and-see things. You know, maybe next time I chat to you guys, I'll have a, a bit more to, to give you. But, um, yeah, let's see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, try, we always try to get a bit of a scoop on the nightclub. But <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I, we'll obviously get stuck into some Premier League chat, and we always like. I think we, we whenever we have a guest on, and it, whether it just be a listener or someone as as big and as important as Richard, we try to ask this question straight up: Are Liverpool home? Are they going to win the league? <laughs> well, I mean, I, they're definitely not home yet. But the thing is, I, I don't think it would be even possible to imagine them not winning it. You know, I think for them to drop ten points in the first place. And it's going to take a pretty big capitulation. The fact they haven't lost a game yet, they only lost one last season. They haven't been playing the same free-flowing football, yes, but I don't think it really matters because I think what they've grown this season is a mental resilience. Mm, yeah, you know, but it doesn't really matter. You know, one of the big question marks over their uh, pre-season uh, ambitions was their depth. But you look at how many goal scorers they've had. They've had 16 goal scorers. They haven't had any issues when there have been injuries. Uh, Alex Oxley chamberlain licked off again, again yesterday, but no one's really worrying too much about it. You know, their depth, uh, you know, it's been seemingly tested. They've come through it. Now they've got Minamino involved as well, so in theory they should get a little bit better. I'd be shocked, first of all, if they drop 10 points, but even if they do, who's going to be perfect out of Leicester and, and Manchester City? I, I don't think it's possible Leicester will be as good as they've been. Manchester City are obviously capable of winning every game from here on in, but I don't think they're in anywhere near the shape to do that at the moment. So, you know, I wouldn't go as far as saying Liverpool can 
put a hand on the trophy. But if they don't win it this season, they might as well give up. Liverpool fans might as well give up on football, like I will leave <laughs> and up. Because, you know, there, there, there will never be a better opportunity. Ten points before Christmas. Yeah, there's a whole heap of games to come over this festive period. Oh, but geez. What, what do you boys think? Surely I, they can't I, throw it away. Honestly, I think before we get into it, I think we'll pencil that down as a yes for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like... I couldn't agree more about the depth. I look at guys like Shakiri and Origi, and obviously, even in the Merseyside derby, that was probably the point where I thought, okay, they're unbeatable, at least from a league-winning perspective. Just mm. for Jurgen Klopp to put out that team against Everton, albeit Everton were pretty poor at the time, I think just to have the confidence in his squad to do that and score five goals was just... You know, regardless of the opposition, I think that was the point where I thought, yeah, they're, they're home. Yeah, I think as well, with that being said, Fabinho going down and obviously being out for a, a, a bit of time as well, but then Henderson moving straight back into the role that he used to play. I think the transition they've made is almost seamless, and, yeah. and you just don't see them showing any signs of lacking confidence at all. That, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the other big thing about them that, you know, I think a lot of people maybe didn't expect to see. I mean, all of a sudden, I've gone from having one world-class centre-half in Van Dyke, and whoever was alongside him was always a little bit of a question. But now they've got four because yeah. Dayan Lovren and Joel Matip have all of a sudden become phenomenal players seemingly overnight by playing next to Van Dyke. And that's with Joe Gomez struggling to get back into the side. I mean, he played yesterday, but... You know, I mean, where does he fit in? If everybody's fit, I'm not so sure he partners Van Dyke. You know, he's almost a backup right back as well to Alexander Arnold. So, yeah. you know, in having that success and also the confidence of knowing that they pushed City so hard last season and City had to be perfect to get away with it, I, they, it, was, it looks like they've just taken all those lessons on board. And rather than seeing it as pressure to emulate what they did last year, I think they've just taken it as confidence to know they can go one better. Well, it probably helps when you've got the two best fullbacks in the world as well. Um, in Alexander Arnold and Andy Robertson, they have been absolutely on fire so far this season, haven't they? In the world, you think? Yeah, I, I, I think we've said it a few times. I think it's hard to. I mean, Jordi Alba's probably a shout. I think Marcelo's passed yeah. it. I can't really think of anyone else. Yeah, yeah you're right. We, we actually had this chat the other week uh, in a work, and um, I, I would always go Marcelo purely because I just love watching him play. But I don't think anyone thinks he's, he's the best left back around anymore. Jordi Alba's also been in and out. Um, it's a hard one left back, uh, and as far as right back goes, well, yeah, I mean, on the spot I can't really think of anyone either, but certainly if they, you know, they're the champions of Europe, and if they go and win the Premier League in the fashion that they're doing so far as well, I don't think too many people could argue that there's fullbacks around. Yeah, I, I think even Liverpool's fullbacks have been that good that it's sort of shadowed the work of Ben Chilwell and Ricardo Pereira at Leicester as well. Like, they've been outstanding, but we don't really talk about them as much as we might if they were doing the same job in any other year, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, Leicester, they probably also get a little bit overshadowed with Leicester given that, you know, that squad on the whole is just so young and, and really exciting, particularly in midfield, the, the three guys supporting Vardy. Um, and, and they're pretty good out wide as well. So, yeah, I mean, if they win the, the league, Liverpool, I mean, you imagine for someone as young as Trent Alexander-Arnold, anyone in that squad really, but you imagine, you know, you look at Liverpool fans and how they absolutely celebrate their legends like no other club seemingly. Mm. Even when they finally bring that Premier League title to Anfield, it's been so long. You know, these guys are going to be, it doesn't matter what they do after the season, does it? Like, does yeah. it become absolute legends of the game? Yeah, for sure. And I think, we're looking at Liverpool and the success that they had this season. We've seen the rise of Leicester as well and them almost having a bit of a resurgent year, but then 
looking back at the rest of the big six, currently only three of them sit in the top six. How do you sort of see this? And we've sort of said it a little bit so far this season. We have said that the big six are essentially big six only name alone now and are the fra- the most frail they've been in probably 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. I think the year where Leicester won it in 2016 was also when they all kind of fell asleep, wasn't it? The big clubs, the big six, mm. all kind of were asleep at the wheel apart from Tottenham and then themselves weren't able to see it out either. I think this year... You're right, it does show their frailties, but then the years in between after Leicester won it, it was almost depressing how strong they were again. They're in a really good position to bounce back. I think that's what the difference is between being a big six club or not, is that in terms of resources and support and expectation, you should turn around and fix it. I'm almost worried about what we see next year, given the fact that Arsenal, uh, Manchester United, uh, Tottenham sit outside. You know, The pressure will be on for those guys to spend big and sort it out pretty quickly. So that kind of means that the window of opportunity for other clubs is a little bit smaller. But having said that, I think Leicester, not only are they, are they a better team, certainly in terms of balance and football now than when they won it, but also when they won it, I mean, you look at their back four, Hoof and Morgan in particular, at the centre-halves, you know, they had an ageing side in there, didn't they? Certainly compared to now. And, and now you look at it, if they hold on to Madison, if they hold on to Tielemans, Vardy probably doesn't have as long to go. But then Chilwell, uh, you mentioned, so Enchu has been fantastic centre-half. Johnny Evans is on the older side, but pretty much everyone else. They, if they can hold on to them, and certainly if they have Champions League football, they will be expected to hold on to them. I can see Leicester hanging around for quite a while. You know, I think the opportunity is there for both them um, and probably a Wolves as well, if they can yeah. be rewarded mm, with, uh, sure. with their efforts at the moment. Add to their squad, have another season in Europe. You know, this is the making of, of clubs that can hang around and really start to fight to be in that big six every season. Yeah, for sure. We I mean, look at Harvey Barnes as well coming through, um, and and he's been a, a revelation so far this season as well. Um, but just on you know talking about how you say these teams like I look at Arsenal. Chelsea, Manchester United, Tottenham. Chelsea probably the one that's most stable. But obviously, I think all four of them have had new managers in the past 12 months, just mm. off the top of my head. Do And then you look at what Lampard's been able to do in the space of just a few months. Does it make you personally think that these teams, despite the you know poor quality in their squads li- squad list, should they be doing better? if you compare to what Lampard's been able to do with a young, young Chelsea team? Yeah, potentially. There's also something to be said for not signing a of players either. Remember when Pochettino and Tottenham had three windows in a row where they didn't add anybody, and that's where Tottenham were on the improve every single time. And lo and behold, before this season, they buy a couple of players, Le Celso and Dombele, Sessegnon, and all of a sudden things fall apart. Now, that wasn't the only reason, obviously, it didn't work for Tottenham, but there's a lot to be said for continuity, and I think... That's one thing that almost Chelsea, not having the window to worry about, are we going to spend 60, 80, 100 million pounds? You know, they've got all these players on loan. They've got something like 80 to 85 players on the books that go out on loan through all the grades or all the years. You know, all of a sudden they're they're forced into a situation where they have to play kids, but also the expectation drops. And I think that's one of the big issues with the big clubs as well. The expectation on Arsenal is one of the most crippling factors. Same with Manchester United. I mean, you know, they, they walk around and say, we're Manchester United. You know, why aren't we winning the league and playing this uh, attractive brand of football? That pressure, that expectation can't help the club or players. So Chelsea have almost been freed of those issues, haven't they? And now that they can go and spend again, they've had, what, four losses in the last six matches in the league. The big question for them, or the interesting thing will be, 
what do they do? Do they try to spend now to you know solidify that place in the top four, or do they stick with Abraham and Mount and Tamori and say no, these guys are the future and they've proven their worth? It'll be really fascinating to see what they do. Yeah, as you said, just like keeping that stability, but also improving the squad might be a balance. Chelsea really have to you know, approach in a delicate manner. Um, in general, though, not necessarily just those bigger clubs. Obviously, Watford got their second win of the season last night. But other than them, who do you think would has been probably the biggest disappointment? And also, who has been the biggest surprise of the season for yours? The surprise one's probably uh, a little tough because you could say that Leicester have been a surprise because of... Um, well, I think the fact they're in the top four is maybe not a huge shock. Top two is, definitely. Wolves are a shock maybe because of the fact that with a paper-thin squad and they're playing in Europe, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to do that two seasons in a row. So they've been... Two seasons in a row, so they've been really good. It's, it's surely got to be Sheffield United, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, Blades. Woody's a big yeah. fan of the Blades. Huge <laughs> fan of the Blades. You are a big fan, or is that a, a sarcastic thing? No, no, I, I am actually a big fan. Uh, I think yeah, maybe from like two months ago he jumped on board. But <laughs> Well, that's okay because I was about to say if you were a fan of the Blades when they were beating Leeds to promotion last season, we can't be mates anymore. So, <laughs> no, uh, well, lucky for that, then. <laughs> the, um, yeah, it's hard, hard to see Sheffield United doing well because Leeds and then have a, a bit of a rivalry, but I think you have to kind of you know, pay shit that Chris Wilder his dues. I mean, what they've done this season, it's not flukish either. That's the big thing about it. They haven't really added to their squad. They have a similar squad that have played not only in the championship, but a lot of them played in the League One three or four years ago as well. But they've just got a good brand of football. I think they will fade a bit because I think, you know, the pressure will be on Manchester United, Tottenham, Arsenal to come good. Um, and I think Wolves probably have a bit more staying power depending on what happens in Europe. So Sheffield United will probably slide a bit. But I think the fact that them and Newcastle are in the top ten to me is absolutely mind-blowing. If you'd have predicted that before the season, that at Christmas they'd be in the top ten, you'd be labelled mad, I reckon. Yeah, well, we actually had uh, Daniel Garb from Fox Sports on maybe oh, a month or two ago now, and we asked him who he thought would... Um, be dealing with relegation and despite the start of the season that Sheffield had he, he predicted Sheffield to go down so Woody often reminds me of that suck that Garby <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. yeah I mean you never know like you, you actually never know and I think Blade fans will be looking at that 40 point mark and still aiming at that depending like regardless of how high they are but I just think there are so many bad teams or certainly relatively bad clubs in the Premier League now. Pretty much anyone from 13 down, with the possible exception of Everton under Ancelotti, I think you could make a case for everyone from 13 down being in the championship next season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Could not agree with you more there. But And then I think one of the big things that will probably define the second half of the season is who are the big spenders in January. Um, but with that being said, if you could spend as much money as you wanted to, can you give Damo and I potentially your dream five-a-side based on current Premier League players? And, and you have to pick one goalkeeper. Yeah, one goalkeeper. Yeah, one. Okay, that is tough. I would have probably said in goal, I'd almost go for Matt Ryan, but he had a bit of a shaky one. Oh. Weekend. I'm not sure, <laughs> sure if you guys saw it, but uh, he didn't have the best time against United. So let's, let's park, park the keeper for the moment. I think number one player in the team at the moment has to be Kevin De Bruyne. I think yes. His form has been mind-blowing of late. Hopefully, he's not injured. He did, um, you know, kind of limp off against Leicester and he had a pretty ordinary run injury-wise, but I definitely have him, him in there. 
I think um, I think James Madison's probably another one, a good creative player, young, doing a lot of good things for Leicester. I'd probably go for either him or Yuri Tillemans, but I think I'll go for, for Madison. I feel like I probably need to pick someone from Liverpool, don't I? I think Mane <laughs> in the front three is probably the one that, you know, he's been the most consistent uh, over the journey, hasn't he? I think he's, his engine is just unbelievable. I think even in that 120 minutes, against Flamengo. He just did not stop. So yeah. I think I'd probably go for Mane. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm, so two more players. I'm guessing one defender and one goalkeeper will get me over the line. Does that sound about right? Yep. Hmm, well, let's go goalkeeper. Hmm, I would have maybe thought about David De Gea, but anyway. <laughs> no way. Um, no way. <laughs> maybe not. Well, um, they don't take corners in five sides, so you might, De Gea might be a good shout. Ah, that's true. That is very true, actually. Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to go in that Ryan because I think, um, obviously there's a bit of bias there from the Aussie perspective, but I think he's been phenomenal this season. You know, Graham Potter and Brighton have played a, a new style of football. It's exposed Matty more, but his distribution is always fantastic. So I think apart from a couple of shady moments uh, against Sheffield United where he was saved by VAR, I think yeah. mm-hmm. I'd go for Matty. Um, and in defence, uh, I probably I don't want to go Virgil Van Dijk. It's, it's maybe a little bit uh, too obvious. <laughs> Who should I go, boys? Who should I go? Who well, have you guys got? I think. Well, we've Woody. Who? Soyuncu's been massive for Leicester. Yeah, you, you and then him. early on we had Tyrone Mings. Yeah, it's been pretty good as well. Um, I think even Matip before he got injured, his first month was massive. He was probably better than yeah. Van Dijk for that first month. So you could it's. After Van Dyke, it does fall away in that, like, so many of those defenders are even, but I guess it just depends if you want to go for a fullback or a centre back. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go, and this is probably a little bit left field. I'll, I'll go for, um, Cesar Aspelacueta because I think. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah that's good. Bit of flexibility. He's not at his best. He's, he's maybe a little bit past his best, but I think he's been massive. You think about the centre halves alongside him. They've rotated pretty much every week because of injuries and, and with a lot of young players in Chelsea as well. I, I think as a captain, He's clearly a very good leader. I know he's really well respected by uh, teammates, former teammates. And even though maybe he's not at his marauding best down the right-hand side for Chelsea, I think he'd be a good addition to that side. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's the five-a-side team. But we've got one more little quirky question before we wrap this this interview up. And that is, if you could have a one-on-one dinner with any Premier League player, and you could ask them, you know, almost anything you wanted, what what would you? Who, who would you pick? Yes, current player. Oh, geez, that's a, that is a really good question. Oh, good obviously, question. barring no language difficulties as well. Yeah. So, assume they can speak English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would. Uh, I would sit down and say, "Why can't you speak English?" Uh, <laughs> oh, you know what? I reckon. I reckon I would sit down with. Uh, <laughs> this is going to show how biased I am towards Leeds. I would sit down with uh, Lewis Cook, midfielder of Bournemouth, and say, why on earth should you leave Leeds? <laughs> Brings us up, our youngest captain uh, in the last 10 years, fantastic player. I tip that he'd go on and play for England. I, I think uh, he has actually been in England squad. I think he will, will go on and play a lot for England. Uh, he's a very good midfielder, good player, and a, and a pretty poor Bournemouth side this season. Mm-hmm. I'd sit down with him and try to talk him into going back. Too easy. Well- Thank you. Oh, to be honest, Woody, who would you have before we wrap this one? Oh, no, no, the one-on-one one dinner? One-on-one one dinner, yeah. 
Um, I borderline, I reckon go Jack Grealish because I'd love to hear his thoughts on why he would potentially stay at Villa for the rest of his career. Yeah, fair enough. Overgoing one of the big boys. Uh, what about you, Damo? Well, I, I reckon if we we're going out afterwards, I'd go with Jamie Vardy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if it was just just a dinner, I'd love to have uh, like if it was last season, I would have said company. I reckon yeah. he would have been really good to speak to. Yeah. But I, I think I'd, I'd love to talk to, like, a Mo Salah about his rise and, you know, how he struggled in the Premier League and then got... Yeah, for sure. ...got it good in his second run. So, yeah, yeah. I think I'd go with Mo Salah if I got to sit down. I, I feel like there, there's no such thing as a bad answer. I mean, you think of the lives that someone like Salah has. And yeah. Even Jack Grealish. I mean, I, I don't think you could go for dinner with Grealish in Birmingham, could you? I mean, he must have <laughs> either stopped at every street corner or hounded off the street by Birmingham fans. I mean... All these guys, the lives they lead, I reckon it'd be pretty fascinating to sit down with any of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on, Richard. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know, Woody and I, we, we love having guests on as much as we can. And, you know, n- no doubt, you know, we'll continue to seek other guests, but obviously not everyone is as nice to come on, such <laughs> as yourself. So thank you so much for that. Oh, boys, no, no worries at all. An absolute pleasure. Always good to... Uh, talk football with some like-minded individuals and hopefully the next time we're chatting Leeds have got a 28 point gap between second and third <laughs> yeah. and I'll be, uh, I'll be far less nervous yeah, Do you have any sort of plans to go over again or are you not going to risk it this time? <laughs> well I'm worried that, that my bad karma was what uh, turned it away from them last year I'm worried that it was a bad omen I definitely have a plan and I might have already put together an itinerary for it Oh no <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I definitely won't be booking it if it looks like it's a line ball Would have you got anything else to add? Or we no, just a huge thank you and, and also Merry Christmas. Um, thank you yeah, again. Thank you so much for coming on so close to um, the festive holidays. I hope you've had a good break so far and, and you'll continue to have one as well. Got any plans over New Year's or Christmas? Or Well, I guess uh, there's just so much football, isn't there? The, you know, the Premier League schedule is pretty outrageous. Never stops. games yeah. between the night of Boxing Day and, and Boxing Day night has nine Premier League games and they're pretty well spaced out too, which is perfect. Um, you know, we have some challenges in Australia watching them overnight, but I think we're all pretty used to them by now. But then right the way through the 27th and 8th and then just before and after New Year's as well. So hopefully, you know, you guys will be enjoying uh, enjoying it all. And I appreciate having me on. I really do. And uh, Merry Christmas to you guys and Happy New Year as well. Thank you so much, Richard. All the best. All the best, boys. Take care. Bye. Matty Ryan? Really? Damo? Oh, <laughs> come on, come on, Woody! You can't be that harsh on him. I mean, he's taking his time out. He knows his stuff. Oh, honestly, I reckon yes. But the way he talked about the blades, I think Dean Henderson was in for a bit of a shout. Yeah, as I've, well. I've got to start when when we look up these guests and bring them on. We, we really need to put in like the original statement, like please don't talk shit about the blades when you come on. Sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> word of warning. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it was he was awesome. He was yeah. it was he was really good to have one. Yeah, I really no, enjoyed that. Yeah, hundred percent. And we like here at the nightclub, we're always trying to bring guests on. Mm. And so, you know, we quite often will post in advance if they are coming on. So keep a lookout for that on all the socials. And you know, I think when we bring guests on, it's for us and it's for everybody listening. But uh, Woody, I 
from a personal point of view, like let's look at this in a selfish manner, mm. selfish way really quickly. Do, does this, it just, it's something else when you get to listen to these guys not on a TV screen. Do you know what I mean? Do you know yeah, what I'm getting I, at? It's, it's a different sort of personality you bring to the, sh- we bring to the show as well. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one thing to look, you know, at them from behind a screen, but then to actually talk to them and interact with them and to get their opinion on, on the stuff that we talk about as well and the stuff that we want to deliver to listeners. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's not like a set agenda of what they have to talk about. Yeah, of course. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, that, was so appealing to have him on because he's moved into um, director of sport at Doctor Sport at such a young age. Mm. Um, he's clearly progressed very well through his career, and that's the you know, that's the kind of talent that we want to have on the nightclub, really, because he gave us some of the insights he gave us is stuff that we probably would never hear yeah. alike. Yeah, 100%. you know what I mean. But um, speaking of talent, yeah, there's you know a talent that we might not have, and that is our singing ability and our ability to. <laughs> Take control of the festive season, <laughs> which you have asked me to do during the week, haven't you, Woodrow? Yeah, so just to recap a bit for those that might not have heard my challenge to Damon last week, I did challenge him to a Christmas carol-off EPL style. And so the aim of this one, just to, again, a quick to, to rejig uh, what, I, what I threw at Damon last week at the end of last episode, was that I want to play Damo 1v1, who can have the best EPL Christmas Carol in our very own Christmas episode? Damo, I know you, you said to me you had a bit of trouble during the week, and I definitely didn't have trouble because I, <laughs> I was I was loving this. I was loving this. I'm, you know, I know you have linguistic difficulties. I do, I do. And, I'm, and I'm a bit of a wordsmith myself. Okay, um, but nevertheless, I think we've got a. Can I go first just to shut yeah, you we'll up? Go but first. We'll I... go first. Are you confident? Yeah, I, I want to go first just so that. When people end the podcast, yours is the last one they remember. Does that make sense? Like I it's, see. Yeah. They f- maybe forget about what I brought to the table <laughs> and just remember what you brought to the table. Sure. So do you want me to kick things off? Yeah, please do. Alrighty, cue the music. Let's do it. You better not slip. You better not cry. You better not plow. I'm telling you why. John Terry is coming. To town, he's taking a piss. He's shaking it twice. He's gonna find out those cameras aren't nice. Demarcus Beasley's coming to town. He sees you when you're cheating. He knows when you're a fake. He knows if you've used head or hand, so use head for goodness' sake. You better not dive, you better not lie, you better not bite, I'm telling you why. Luis Suarez coming to town. Thoughts on that, Woodrow? <laughs> it was good, I liked it, I liked it. It was uh, smooth movements of the lips. Uh, <laughs> Mate, honestly... It's like sitting there having to like read the lyrics that I've written and not sing the actual song. <laughs> Actually, the hardest bit to be. Yeah, I bet. Quiet. That was funny. All that right. was funny. Let's see what you are bringing to the table. All right, let me just prep myself. Woo. The tongue, the tip. That wait, was Sam do it? Sam does it. Yeah, no, Sam does it well for an episode. Yeah, the tongue, the tip, the top of the lips, or something like that. Something like that. All right, you ready, Witcher? All right, let's let's do it. Cue the music demo.
Joy for the Scouse, the title has come. Let Jürgen be crown king. From Gerard slipping to company scoring. The nail in the coffin, the nail in the coffin. Now the coffin and field forever sings. Joy for the Spurs, Mourinho reigns. Your club culture he will destroy. Wamura and Son, Ali and Kane continually make the team. Ericsson is fucked. There's no one happier than the ball boy. If not for Ings, Southampton suck. They don't deserve Ward Prowse. He passes, defends, and scores. Banging free kicks. Relegation is calling. Relegation is calling. They could and should get Gareth Bale back. We rule the airwaves with the greatest podcast. We are the Premier League nightclub. We've got famous guests and Damon as a host. Woody's with and winners and losers. Honor of silence, Damon Slimmer. But don't you dare forget Sam the Simpleton. <laughs> See you later, baby. <laughs> oh my Catch God. me at Carol's by candlelight, please. <laughs> the next, next Mariah Carey. On, on that note, let's wrap this one up because I cannot do this anymore. That was bloody horrible. All right, well, I'm horrible. definitely not going to be putting him up on the socials, but if we want <laughs> <laughs> if people want to go to the socials, where can they find us? You can we'll find us on, at Insta, at Premier League Nightclub, or on the Twitter, at, at, at PL Nightclub, at PL Nightclub, that's what it is. Let's get out of here, Woody, we've got some Christmas dues to get Sick to. Sick a bloody bow and this one put under the tree, please. Merry Christmas, everybody, have a rip up. Good luck for all the Boxing Day games, if your team is playing in them, which I'm pretty sure 100% possible they are. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy, we'll be back on the 28th of December. See you guys. See ya. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Sports Social Podcast Network.